1: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Is online school worth it? That's the question many college students are asking themselves as their schools continue to make changes due to coronavirus. The California Community College system, the largest system of higher education in the United States, is telling colleges to prepare to offer instruction online through the fall of this year and even into the spring of next year. Other schools are planning to combine both online and in-person classes, and this has left many students unwilling to return to campus or without the resources to attend online classes. We'll hear about what to expect from California colleges this fall and from students on whether or not they're willing to attend, and that's next after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Michael Krasny. As coronavirus cases continue rising in California, colleges and universities across the state are assessing how best to operate for the fall semester some such as the california state university system are completely transitioning to remote learning others like uc berkeley are looking to combine both online and in-person classes these changes have left students with some difficult choices continue school under these conditions or withdraw for the semester return to campus or stay home in this hour we'll hear from some students we'll hear from schools and health officials about what college campuses could look like this fall and joining us first is Tanaya. Sardasai, she's a rising uh, senior at Pomona College. She won't be returning to campus this fall. And Tanaya, good to have you with us on Forum. Welcome to the program.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: I guess the first question to you is, why aren't you returning? They're going to have classes on campus at Pomona where you are. You're staying out. Why?
2: Um, So actually, yesterday, Pomona just updated us. And the update that we were waiting for for the past few months was essentially that we need to wait a couple more weeks for an update um, so what we know so far is that they've told us that ideally they would bring people back um, but I believe due to their recent spikes in California that plan has changed uh, so regardless of what happens I will be taking the semester off you know barring any unforeseen circumstances and I guess my the main reasoning behind this is that like personally I am in good health Um, I don't believe that I'm at any increased risk for um, getting coronavirus or having like particularly bad effects with it. And although I'm just one extra person, I know that my presence on campus may be putting other students at risk Um, and because I will be able to find a job and Um, sustain myself and find housing that way, I have kind of decided to take the year off just because I I do think that it is better to limit the amount of students that are on campus.
1: Well, I wonder if there are a number of students who are doing this with similar reasons uh, that you have just expressed to us. I'm thinking about that particularly because I know that uh, Pomona College, where you are, put out a statement that they want to preserve the school year and prioritize student safety and uh, I think there's, mm-hmm. there's a good deal of apprehension about not only uh, how much safety can be preserved as we see these upsurges and upticks, uh, but also, as you pointed out, concern for others uh, and the possibility of you being a transmitter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what are you going to do? <laughs> how are you going to spend the year? Um, well, I guess that brings me to
2: another reason that I really want to take a year off. Um, I guess like I've. Just, I'm sure as we all have seen how this time that we're living in right now um, with coronavirus, with the protests across the country, it's really a unique opportunity for me and for others who are able to, to kind of break away from school for a little bit and get a lot more involved in the community. Uh, So my plan right now with a couple of my friends actually from Pomona is to still move down to L.A., move down to Southern California, and really start working more hands-on with some of, like, the mutual aid organizations that have been very active um, and different things like that.
1: And uh, how have you felt about uh, the way the school has handled this? I mentioned that statement that came out, uh, particularly in light of the Mm -hmm. pandemic. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I think, to be completely honest, uh, the school is prioritizing profits over the safety of students. Um, Specifically, Pomona College has one of the largest, like, per-student endowments in the country. We have, I think, an endowment of about, like, $2 billion for 1,600 students. Um, And... I do believe that Simona has the option of putting classes online very easily. And I think that the reason they haven't taken that option is because that will entail um, refunding room and board to a lot of students. And um, after the email came out yesterday, a lot of us were kind of talking about it. And we kind of came to the conclusion that the only reason that they would push the announcement by two weeks was because they were planning on bringing students back. And now because of the recent spikes, they have to reconsider. So at this point, it kind of just feels like they're waiting until the pandemic is like just, quote, unquote, like manageable enough for it to be like justifiable to bring us back to campus.
1: That's Anaya Sardesai, and she's a rising senior at Pomona College. Uh, She won't be returning to campus this fall, and that's true, I guess, for a couple of your closer friends as well. Uh, Most of the students uh, that you've talked to are going back to school, or is it kind of half and half, or how do you see it?
2: I think it's definitely half and half right now. Um, I feel like Pomona's decision to not put out a decision has turned a lot of students away from returning. But, you know, um, everyone's circumstances are different. Some people have to return to campus. Um, some people have the option of taking off. So it, it's really, it really depends on the individual student.
1: Well, I thank you for joining us this morning, and I hope you uh, proceed with good fortune in your life. And uh, when you go back to school, you'll be a year late on graduation, but I guess you've uh, managed to compromise that in the picture. And I thank you for joining us. <laughs> good yep, to have you. Thank you for having me. Let me tell you who else is joining us for this hour. Uh, Anamona Hartikalis is a higher education reporter of the New York Times, and I welcome her to the program. Good morning. Anamona Hartakalis. Good morning, Michael. Oh, I'm Hi. sorry, there was a little delay I'm here. There. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm glad right. you're here. Thank you for being here. We also have Devin Jopp with us. CEO of the American College Health Association. And welcome, Devin Jopp. Good to have you with us.
3: Thank you. Nice to be here as well.
1: Yeah and let me begin anamona with you and let's begin by just talking about what we uh get as a picture that's uh, pretty much shaping up for the fall with respect to students returning to college the general picture is is really pretty mixed because a lot are going online certainly the whole CSU system is going back online uh and uh I don't know how popular that's going to be with students but we'll talk about that with some students and so forth but uh, what is your sense of uh, students deciding, particularly, uh, well, not only here in California, where there's been an uptick, but throughout the country that they maybe maybe it's time to take a gap semester. Maybe it's a time to uh, consider other options, even though there are lack of opportunities because everybody's suffering a pandemic.
4: Right, exactly. There are lack of opportunities. So I thought Dania, um expressed this pretty well. She's um, uh, lucky probably to, to have a job um, she's also part of this very altruistic college uh, generation which I, I think um, is is admirable and um, that she and others in her generation will be e- using this pandemic as a way to better society is um, an amazing thing to me um, but I, I I believe that for many students um sitting the year out is not an option although they might like to um, just because what they have told me when i talk to students as i do all the time is um, what am i going to do the economy has tanked um you know i I'm, i'm i'm worried about uh Uh, Being home, I'm worried about being at school. I've seen figures that as many as uh, 20% of students would like to take a gap year, but uh, I think it remains to be seen how practical that's going to be and whether they'll do that
1: how much of this has to do with learning online? Because here at the CSU system, you've got 23 campuses that are going to be totally online. That's a half a million students. And there has to be a lot of burnout online. There is certainly among professors and teachers, I know, because uh, I'm one of them, but also uh, burnout just in, with respect to uh, learning remotely.
4: Yeah, we're all burned out, aren't we, about, you know, doing things online. Um, uh, Cal State is a... It's a huge system, so it's very significant that they're going mostly online. But if you look at um, colleges overall across the country, the Chronicle of Higher Education keeps a record of what the reopening plans are, and more than 75% say they want to bring students back to campus. Um, and well, there's a to, lot of money
1: involved. I mean, we have yeah. to realize that. I mean, if they can, they've been losing uh, millions of dollars, potentially. Uh, they were not in great shape before this pandemic, many colleges and universities. And there's a, there's a great sense of declining enrollment. And uh, that's of concern. They can't put students in the dormitory and they can't really raise the money that they have to raise.
4: I, I think that's right. Um, it's hard to imagine how many of them could survive or maybe will survive even um, under the circumstances. So there is a strong imperative to bring students back, I think. And and with that comes a demand from students to have uh, the kind of college experience that they grew up and worked hard to get to. Ana
1: Mona Harakalas, uh is higher education reporter of the New York Times. And uh, the fact is uh, that uh, I, I read a piece that you did about students who were waitlisted at colleges, and some of these colleges, uh, particularly you know, premier colleges, are now saying you're not on the waitlist if you can commit now. We like you because it's not only a lack of revenue that's coming in uh, uh, from students who are here in the United States; it's also foreign students who aren't necessarily coming back. Isn't that right?
4: Yeah, um, there's a large contingent of foreign students who won't be able to return, and um, who pay top dollar because uh they are they are usually full payers so that's a that's a loss both of um population and of money
1: and let me bring uh luzette into this conversation she's vice chancellor for finance and facilities planning at the california community college colleges uh from the chancellor's office and good to have you with us welcome to the program
5: Hi, great to be with you. Thank you for this important conversation.
1: It is an important conversation, and I'd like to begin with talking about the importance of revenue. Since I was just talking about that with Anamona, uh, how the community colleges set up in terms of this pandemic, and how do things look, and particularly in terms of students coming back or learning online? What are you doing? On um,
5: the with regards to you know resources and the overall budget, this was a very complex budget cycle for California Community Colleges and all of higher education. Um, essentially, you know, resources for community colleges will uh, primarily be deferred. About 1.5 billion will be deferred to to uh, future fiscal years, and in in order to um, continue education, preserve courses for those that need it. Colleges will be relying on their local reserves um, or any um, borrowing programs um, in order to to, um, continue their work. In terms of reopening, what we're really seeing is that campuses for the fall will primarily be online. Uh, Some colleges that have programs that are in career technical education that can and are essential to be taught in person and contribute to essential industries within California may continue in person, but they will follow strict social distancing, masks, sanitation rules. Um, It's going to be a complex operation um, and that's really what we're seeing is most will stay online.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the fact that there are many students in the community colleges. It's a kind of pipeline in many respects for essential workers, for those who are on the front line in the pandemic, for, in fact, there's a lot of producing of PPEs that are going on now at the community colleges. And uh, this is, I think, important for the public to understand the role that you play.
5: It is, uh, you know, some of the innovative things that we've seen at California Community Colleges is um, utilizing 3D printing technology to create uh, shields and masks. Um, this is something that we've seen in some of our career tech ed programs. And then we've also seen um, the continued work to support uh, frontline workers uh, in that are critical to the response and recovery for um, this pandemic and in in California as a whole. Those and our goal, those programs is to continue them um, either in hybrid approaches, uh, through uh, online and distance learning or in person where feasible again, uh, following uh, strict sanitation uh, and other protocols.
1: Lizette Navarrete is, again, Vice Chancellor for Finance and Facilities Planning at the California Community College's Chancellor's Office. And I should mention that those payment deferrals that she talked about will mean probably dipping into reserves or borrowing. I want to bring uh, uh, Devin Jopp into this. He's CEO of the American College Health Association. And, uh, Devin, let's uh, let's begin by just talking about the fact that uh, you, you belong – your group actually is uh, covering about 1,100 universities uh Doctors, nurses on campus uh, nationwide and put out a 22 page uh, task force report, which has guidelines in it for the best practices during the pandemic. Uh, This is in partnership with the CDC. There's a lot in there. There's a lot about housing and sports and PPE and classrooms, but uh, nothing about universal test lines in your guidelines. Why is that?
3: Yeah, uh, you know, when we first came out with this document in early May, we've been kind of uh, working hand in glove with the CDC, trying to figure out what they're saying and making sure that we're in line with kind of uh, what prevailing thought was. Uh, In fact, uh, and and so we didn't have uh, at that point in time good evidence to go on uh, whether or not that was the right uh, recommendation to make. Subsequently, the CDC did put out some guidance this week, in fact. that, that does not recommend uh, universal testing for students uh, upon return. Uh, and, and probably for the reasons that you might guess, um, you know, certainly issues around the sensitivity of those tests, um, you know, certainly if you do a kind of everyone in, let's get tested, uh, you know, in some cases, you may not be able to detect the virus in some of the early uh, asymptomatic uh, or pre-symptomatic stages. Uh, and then the other problem, of course, is you know, if you do and test everybody and everybody comes back negative, Uh, It doesn't stop a student from going uh, out somewhere or there's a party or some get together. And next thing you know, that person's infected and then you have to go back and retest everyone again. So I think there was a lot of pragmatic issues on top of the fact that testing uh, availability and cost is still a significant issue um, uh, and one that we're obviously very concerned about.
1: Well, let's talk about that, uh, but let's talk about particularly in terms of what you are At least advising and what these guidelines present to students as well as to teachers, because the teachers are deeply concerned about the pandemic and about exposure to the virus and so forth. Uh, The usual emphasis, uh, I suppose, uh, we can say safely is on physical distancing, on mask wearing and all of those kinds of things. Um, But what are you saying specifically that will bring students more back into the fold and, you know, make your revenues uh, at least somewhat better with respect to the colleges, make their, I should say, revenues better?
3: Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, I think it's, again, a fantastic question. The issue um, ultimately comes back to, you know, I think, you know, I heard the earlier speakers talk about, you know, juggling the financial needs, which is critically important. Um, but, you know, I think the other important need is really kind of making sure we keep our students, our faculty, and our staff safe. Uh, and that is really paramount. And I think uh, you know, our universities are all trying to figure out what does that mean in their own communities and how to do that. Um, You know, there is, I guess, maybe to caveat, there is no way to fully protect an institution. And I think, you know, what our recommendations do is kind of help mitigate uh, and provide some some suggestions and best practices. Uh, But outside of mask wearing, which is one of the things you indicated and maintaining social distancing, um, you know, some of the other areas are things like no large classes, um, limits to 30 individuals. And I know a number of universities are either trying to stagger their classes and or in some of the cases where they have large classes planned because some of them can get into the hundreds, uh, they're using remote learning uh, even though the student may be on campus. Um, Certainly some are looking at trying to stagger the student bodies on campus because there's issues around how do we make sure that in residential life uh, in in those halls uh, we obviously don't have too many individuals in a room. Um, And so, you know, trying to space them out, uh, dealing with cleaning of bathrooms, uh, particularly if they're communal bathrooms. Um, And so some universities are taking, like, for example, half of their student body and making them residential. Um, uh, Some are doing kind of staggered days of learning. Um, And some, as you mentioned earlier, are are going completely online. Um, I think the other one, too, is you're seeing uh, a number of schools that are looking at early closures, uh, early openings, early closures. Uh, with the thinking that, you know, by the time we get to the around Thanksgiving uh, and flu season hits, which is going to be a very significant challenge in order to juggle flu versus COVID-19. Um, uh, that's another area. And I think the other big thing, too, is, is really trying to figure out with our faculty or staff, um, uh, as well as our high-risk students, uh, trying to make sure that we create opportunities for, for engaging them uh, and so, for example, you know, high-risk students may, uh, that have multiple chronic conditions may simply not be able to come back to campus um, and may have to engage in remote learning. Um, and I think the same thing for some of our faculty and staff. Um, and so, so I think a lot of these areas are kind of critical components. But I think the other part, just to mention, is the importance of what happens when there is a, um, you know, a virus and, and we, we discover someone that actually has COVID-19. And I think the universities are all working on trying to put in protocols around how to handle quarantining, getting students into uh, quarantine housing, uh, and then also really trying to work with the public health departments and building capabilities on campus around contact tracing and trying to figure out who they're in touch with and trying to mitigate uh, the spread of the virus. So uh, a a lot of different areas here.
1: Join us. We're talking about uh, students and colleges and health officials, uh, talking with them about what college campuses could look like this fall and uh, how do you think schools should handle this semester? And if you're a college student, what are your plans for the fall? You can give us a call now and I invite you to join us. The number to call is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email. Any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. And coming up on a break here, and I know you have to go, Lizette Navarrete, I want to ask you before you go, uh, what are you doing to retain students, uh, especially in light of the online learning? Many of them are dealing with family work and technology challenges and all of that.
5: That's one of the key pieces that is going to be a focus for this summer and fall. Um, Thankfully, there was an inclusion of a block grant for California Community Colleges that will help us work on those strategies specifically, and that can include uh, accelerated courses um, or re-engaging students, um, first looking at those that had to take an excuse withdrawal from their classes, or those students that um, weren't able to complete the spring semester due to COVID-19 interruptions. And so we're really going to be working with colleges on how to re-engage those students. The other key is next is really looking at uh, online teaching and going from survival mode to really expanding the way that it's taught, improving Uh, strategies and that's something that um, we have a lot of great faculty across the state and that's one of their priorities including equity and equity elements um, in how uh, instruction is delivered online so a lot of important work ahead a lot of hard work ahead um, but we we know we have uh, dedicated individuals across the state that will be dedicated in focusing on these issues
1: well, I appreciate very much your being with us, and I thank you for joining us in this hour of forum. That's Lizette Navarette, Vice Chancellor for Finance and Facilities Planning at the California Community College's Chancellor's Office. When we return, we'll hear more on the subject, and we'll hear from you. In fact, you can join us by phone, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about what college campuses uh, could look like this fall. And if you would like to join this program, we invite you to do so. How do you think schools should handle this semester? And if you're a college student, what are your plans for the fall? You can join us at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Let's get Ben on from Dublin. He's a student at UC Berkeley. Good morning, Ben. Good
6: morning. Um... I find this situation really interesting, um, especially for Cal and its campus being in the city of Berkeley and being an urban environment. Um, I've noticed my school be very uh, back and forth about how it's setting up the campus, how it's setting up uh, schooling in the COVID environment. Um, And so really, it's a very unorthodox situation, especially because Cal is such a huge research university that I've noticed that. Uh, laboratories, in any situation that you need to be in person is getting priority. Um, and so, I think you know you see the CSU system and California Community Colleges going mostly online, mainly because they don't have that research element. Um, and so, it's very interesting how uh, Cal is going to have to deal with you know government grants and using and opening up labs uh, for for studies and things like that during the coded environment. So we'll have to see, but. It's a very unorthodox and very shifty situation right now.
1: It is indeed. Now, I'm going to go back, if I may, to you, uh, Anamona Harakalas. Uh What is really being done at colleges uh, that particularly is noteworthy in terms of, well, reimagining uh, in the wake of this pandemic and redoing things and recalibrating them, for that matter? Anamona, are you with us? We've had some delay with her and i'm wondering yeah if i'm back sorry oh, okay. uh, let <laughs> me scared
4: yeah um no i i was going to say that uh ben i thought was very perceptive in in saying that the situation is shifty because i feel like it's shifty too um and i think that's partly because universities aren't quite sure uh, what they want to do in a month. So they're putting the best possible spin on what could happen, which means bringing uh, students back and trying to do as much in-person learning as possible because they they believe, and I think rightly so, that students and their families want to have in-person classes, expect to have them uh, given the tuition they're paying, especially at places like um, Berkeley. If you're from out of state, at least. Um, so, uh, so, so, so it, it it is an uncertain uh, picture, um, and still not entirely resolved. But to the degree that we know what it's going to look like, which I guess is your question, um, it's it's almost unimaginable. I mean, you're going to have uh in spite of what devin job said a lot of universities are promising universal testing so they're saying uh students are going to be tested when they walk in um they're going to be tested as frequently as, in some places as uh, uh once a week after that um if anybody is uh testing positive they're going to be quarantined they're going to have contact tracing their contacts might have to go into um, isolation. Um, I'm sorry, these terms get misused, but anyway, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and in class they're going to have to wear masks and six sit, six feet apart. Uh, they're going to have to face forward and keep conversation to a minimum. Um, some places are talking about putting up plexiglass, uh, you know, grab and go at dining halls. Uh, So it's going to be a very different place.
1: It's going to be different in so many ways. And uh, Devin, I'd like you to address this if you could. Let's bring you back into the discussion. Devin Jopp, who's CEO of the American College Health Association. Uh, And it it extends certainly to housing uh, as well as the classrooms. Uh, Some big changes in store have to be because the pandemic is upon us.
3: Yeah, actually, I agree with Anna Mona on this, I, you know, I, I don't think that there's any reality that when a student goes back, it's going to resemble uh, what it looked like, in, if you will, in the normal. And I think, you know, these accommodations that these institutions are going to have to make in order to try to to um, you know, maintain the safety of these students uh, uh, come at a significant cost. Um, they are difficult to implement, and it also requires, uh, you know, the, the support and, if you will, You know, kind of everyone following the rules, right? From, you know, students, faculty, and staff. Um, And I think there's certainly a lot that can go wrong. And so I think, you know, in these components, um, you know, I think what we're trying to do is say, you know, if you're going to do it uh, and go back, you know, these are the things that really need to be in place in order to try to make it work. Um, But we're certainly not under any uh, disillusion. This is going to be easy uh, or it's somehow going to look normal. But I, I think to the earlier point made, you know, we, we certainly understand that students want to have that experience, um, but doing so in a safe manner um, is, is a difficult balance to achieve.
1: Let me read some comments that are coming in uh, from listeners. Uh, one listener tweets, my daughter's college in New York is planning to have all students back on campus. They are giving her the option of staying home and taking classes online, but if her friends will be back on campus, she will want to be there. I'm very anxious. Zoom school isn't great, but it's better than nothing. And another listener, Lisa, writes, I'm only half joking when I say this, but with twin college freshmen and a high school senior, uh, all of whom have been learning remotely from their bedrooms since March, my boys are going off to college this fall. If I have to sanitize the dorms myself, it's time. They're ready. I'm ready. They need to go. And we're getting uh, a question here that I think I I, want to make sure you're with us, Anna Mona. Are you there? I'm here okay a listener asks uh, can any uh, of you speak and i'm going to go to you on this uh, about how universities might respond to lawsuits asking for tuition reimbursement and tuition reductions for future semesters
4: that's such a good question and um i i, I wish i could give a definitive answer but this person is right there are a ton of lawsuits uh law firms ship me Emails and briefs on the latest ones almost every day, uh, you know, from Georgetown to Yale and um, they are contending at this point that uh, uh, students should be receiving tuition refunds for having gone online in the spring, I guess. Fall hasn't happened yet, so they maybe can't sue in advance. But I imagine that those lawsuits are going to broaden, or or you know additional additional ones will be filed in the fall, arguing that um, online education is not as valuable as in-person education, where you have networking with your peers and your professors and um, perhaps more of a freewheeling discussion. Um, and and one of the arguments that these briefs, these law briefs make, which is interesting, is that universities themselves have valued online education less than uh, in-person education because if you go to a university website and look at what it takes to uh, take a uh, what you have to pay to take a course online, it is very likely, I remember Columbia universities in, in particular, um, it is very likely that you are going to be paying a lower cost than if you attend in person. So right off the bat, it seems like they have a, a pretty black and white argument.
1: Well, I'm going to read a comment from a listener named Sandy who says, I'm in my second to last quarter of my final year of grad school. I did my entire bachelor's degree online as a 52-year-old working woman. I appreciate the opportunity to continue my academic career online. It's the content, not the instruction method, that makes the curriculum worth it. If you're disciplined and organized, you can make distance learning just as engaging as in-person teaching methods. I'm happy to finish my final quarter online. And here's a caller joining us from Oxford, Mississippi. It's Logan. Logan, good morning.
7: Hey there. I just wanted to uh, uh, ask, uh, and this also goes with your comment from your um, your last uh, last comment you read. Uh, we've seen that you know companies have found that some jobs are you know that working remotely can be just successful. Same thing with classes. Your last comment said that she got a full bachelor's degree uh, online. It's the comment uh, or the content, right? And so because of that, I'm calling from you know an SEC school that's largely funded by its football team and baseball team. And subsequently, also the town is, you know, the town, uh, the city's schedule really runs uh, uh, profits off of those big sports. So my question is, are we opening up, um, you know, for the best possible education for the, uh, for the students? Is that what we're saying? Are we really opening up schools so we can get money flowing back into universities so we can uh, um, keep them funded? I just really uh, want to hear a comment on uh, really why we're doing this, especially after Uh, record high spikes in many states in the past
1: week. Thank you. Yeah, it's an important question. And I don't know, uh, Anamona, you want to weigh in here? I suppose it has to be uh, considered almost school to school, but uh, they have to thrive and they have to thrive financially. And to do that, they're going to have to be open, aren't they?
4: Yeah, they're going to have to be open. And then there's the underlying question, I think, of this of of this listener, um, you know, why bother to go to campus if you can get a degree online, isn't it equally good? I think um, this is opening up a huge argument about that. And many people like that mother who said her boys would have to go back if she had to sanitize the dorm herself would say um, that the, the, the level of engagement is superior. At a traditional uh, a campus, uh, at least for undergraduates, I think for uh, grad students it, it 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 may be different um, uh, you know it 's a debate
1: well, let me go back if I may to Devin Jopp, uh, who again is CEO of the American College Health Association and uh, there's a question for you, Devin, from a listener named Mark, who says, my daughter will be a senior at Stanford. She's decided to take a gap year, and I'm very supportive of it. Getting the university experience is more important than crossing the finish line on some artificial schedule. One problem with gap years, we took her off our health coverage when she enrolled because she had Stanford Health, but she won't have Stanford Health during the gap year. Any uh, wisdom you can shed here for us?
3: Devin? Yeah, uh, you know, I think when it comes to individuals that are taking a gap year, um, you know maintaining coverage is important and and, and it depends from school to school kind of what kind of coverage they're offering in some many cases they offer a student health insurance plan um, and that plan um, oftentimes has a time period after which you disenroll that you're actually allowed to continue to maintain coverage so they should check with their university and see what that duration is you know it can be as short as three months it can be as long as a year in some cases Um, and then of course you know, if they do leave the university and drop off uh, policies or that's not an option, uh, certainly then going back onto like exchange-based products, you know, the ACA um, or other kinds of policies that are out there would be advisable. Certainly dropping coverage is not advisable. Um, and so I think, you know, really uh, insurance companies have been working with institutions, I think, on trying to um, uh, work with them to ensure that, that students are remain covered um, during these time periods because we certainly know that it's in in, a diff- in a different times. So it's, uh, it's certainly some, not an issue that's going to go away. I, and the other comment I would want to make on the degree issue too is, you know, I think also there is some data uh, during the Great Recession that came out around the value of degree and, and getting a job. And I while I I know there's a lot of discussion around gap years, I do think the value of getting a degree still remains and will remain through this. And so uh, I certainly encourage listeners to kind of consider that when they're looking at their plans.
1: And let's hear from another listener. That's Steve joining us. Steve, you're on the air. Good morning.
8: Hi. I just wanted to remind the listeners that uh, community college means that it's for a larger group than uh, just those aspiring to go on to four-year colleges or to complete a two-year education. Uh, It serves uh, people of my age, the older adult community, in a really vital way. I teach two poetry writing classes for the Santa Rosa Junior College, and it couldn't be more uh, joyous, a participation. These people come from a wide variety of uh, jobs, occupations, positions in life with decades of experience to write about. A number of them have become published poets, and it's it's just a joy to participate in this venture. And uh, funding is always in question for this part of the uh, community college system, but I think it is as vital as any other aspect of uh, community college teaching.
1: Steve, it's good so. to you to call and good of you to share your joy. I appreciate hearing from you this morning, and thank you for that call. Stephen and Steven Petaluma, we're going to go now to Kara Sharma, who is a student at UC Berkeley. She'll be returning to campus, and welcome to the program. Good to have you. How's
9: it going? Thanks for
1: having me. Uh, glad to have you, and you're returning to a hybrid Situation: Some of your classes will be online, presumably, and some of them will be face-to-face and in person. Why are you going back? What's, what's compelling you?
9: Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, it came down to three major reasons. I think the first is simply the uncertainty of it all. We really don't know. Like, we don't have a strict timeline on when coronavirus is going to stop and when this uncertainty is going to end. Although we're confident that a vaccine is going to come out, we also don't know the effectivity of the vaccine. And if it's actually going to be useful for everything that needs to be done and everything that needs to be healthy. So I think that the biggest thing for me was just the fact that I shouldn't be living my life in fear and changing the way I act simply due to this virus, but I should be following public health guidelines, right? I think the idea is to find some type of normality within these parameters And for me personally, like at my college tenure currently, a gap year did not make sense for what I would want to get out of a gap year. So I figured if I'm still going to be taking classes, I'm just going to try and come back on campus and still run mask, still socially distance, and try and like make make the situation as normal as you can given circumstances while still being safe and doing everything that I need to be doing. So
1: you thought about doing a gap year? You actually considered it and waited, so to speak?
9: Yeah, I I, I spent – about a couple of days talking to my parents about it. And I think the biggest reason why I chose not to was just the fact that I think a gap year is meant for one of two things. One is either to kind of travel the world, gain a world perspective, perspectives, which given the current scenario isn't a like realistic option per se. And the second thing is to like either get a job or do something more hands-on. And I also thought given current scenario with corona and COVID-19, uh, I wasn't going to be able to fully do that as simply just a rising sophomore. So I figured it'd be better to try and continue my years at UC Berkeley and just kind of continue this process.
1: And you're going to do the social, or as we call it now, more common to call it physical distancing and try to follow all the uh, rules as best you can or guidelines. Uh, But what about activities? Uh, How much do you expect to be able to participate in the kind of normal activities that you would?
9: Yeah, I think that's a good question because obviously I want to go back partly because you only get in college once, right? You want to have that college experience. But I think that when you go back to campus, you have a decision to act responsibly, and you kind of have this like moral duty to act responsibly, right? Because if I'm not wearing a mask and my friends are wearing a mask, and if we're not physically distancing and doing everything we need to, we're putting others' lives at risk and just kind of attributing to these like rising cases. So I don't know. I'm personally, I'll still I've played socially or physical distance spike ball wearing masks with some of my friends from home, and I've tried to do everything possible. So I think there's definitely some type of parameters where you can interact with people, although I'm not expecting it to be like a typical, like college tradition, typical college experience. I still think there's some value in going back and like being able to interact.
1: Talking to uh, Karev Sharma, he's a student at UC Berkeley, and he'll be returning to campus this fall. I'm looking at a tweet here. Uh, I'd like to get your response to this, Karev. Uh, This is a listener who writes, the safety precautions Schools are planning all presumed kids will follow them, which is absurd. Fully formed adults are already getting quarantine fatigue. College students are not fully formed adults. They have terrible impulse control. That sounds a bit cynical, but you understand the sentiment when you see all these uh, young people of your contemporaries uh, swarming on the beaches and so forth, despite all of the caveats. Uh, what do you say to that kind of concern?
9: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a correct concern. By no means am I saying that everyone's going to follow them but I think there's just this sense where you have to keep others around you accountable, right? When I went and played spikeball with my friends, it wasn't a matter of, yeah, let's just all budge into each other, give each other hugs this is the first time we saw each other. In fact, none of us even touched, right? We we're all wearing masks. We we're all socially distancing. And if you have that ability to maintain your social groups and the people around you accountable, make sure if you're living with someone, you're wiping down all your groceries, you're washing your hands all the time. it it helps everything helps so I think responding to that tweet directly it's more of a matter of the people who are responsible truly understanding the situation and informing their friends and family about what they should be doing right especially at schools like UC Berkeley where I feel like a lot of people are educated and understand the situation going on it's something that's reasonable to consider.
1: Well, you sound very responsible, and I I know your mother was very uh, instrumental in making you uh, helping you to make this decision to go back. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So um, uh, I think that's important to mention here as well, and it also helps to pay in-state tuition, right?
9: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a nice thing. I think when I talk to my parents about it, we've always had a pretty open dialogue in our household where we kind of come to decisions together. And it really just made sense, given everything I mentioned before, for me to go back. So I was happy that they also supported that opinion.
1: Well, we wish you good luck, and we thank you for joining us this morning on the forum program.
9: Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it.
1: That's Karev Sharma. He's a student at UC Berkeley, and he'll be returning to campus. And let me go uh, to Devin again. Devin, here's a question from a listener who says, here's yet another argument for universal health care, Medicare for all, the absurdity of making education choices based on the impact of their insurance co- coverage only in America. I suspect there are probably many students who indeed are making those decisions as we heard from one earlier on the basis of health coverage.
3: I, I mean, let's face it, you know, it, it's a reality of it. And I think um, you know, stu- we need to keep our students healthy and, and in order to just keep them healthy, we also have to keep them insured. And I think, um, you know I, I would hate to think that obviously students are paying uh, tuition in order just to keep their insurance, um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, I again, go back to some of my earlier statement, I think there are continuation options for students, um, and whether those are certainly within their university or even going back to, uh, to ACA-based exchanges, um, you know, th- that's the reality we live in, Um uh, you know, whether or not we should have a universal health care system or not. I think that's certainly for many others to kind of debate. Um, but I think, you know, we certainly are in favor of always trying to make sure that students have the insurance that they need. Um, uh, rec- recognizing that, you know, if you do decide to leave university, uh, you know, it definitely forces the pressure on those individuals to try to find coverage um, outside of the institution if they're away for a prolonged period of time.
1: David Jopp is CEO of the American College Health Association. and. Uh... Anamona Hardakalas is higher education reporter in the New York Times. Uh, let me go back to you, Anamona, and get a response uh, from what we're hearing from uh, another listener who uh, wants to ask about all of the... Um, well, let me, let me read what Robert writes. Uh, he says, if the answer is the schools need the money, then they should find funding elsewhere, not put financing on the backs of underserved students. Thoughts yeah. from you? Yeah.
4: Well, um that is an argument that I've heard as well. And, and one of your uh, guests raised it, I think. Uh, can't they tap into, yes, the young woman who's taking the year off, tap into the wealthy endowments and uh, the universities say that's limited, but of course uh, there's always a little more fungibility than they admit. Um, an interesting, Phenomenon is and and I you know, I hate to make it all about dollars and cents because clearly education is 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 more than that, but um, But on uh, at the same time, it's a very expensive proposition these days. So an interesting phenomenon is that um, At least Moody's investors service which looks at the financial picture of universities, says that um, they expect a lot more students to go to community college because it's cheaper. So this may all be a good thing for community colleges. And it may indeed, as the lawsuits indicate, um, make uh, uh, students more price conscious and perhaps uh, universities more price conscious. I'll just give a plug for my rival paper, the Wall Street Journal, which had an interesting piece about how this is a great time to negotiate with your the university your child has just been accepted to for a lower price.
1: And I would recommend the writing that you did on the University of Kentucky where that's being weighed and considered to a great extent. And it is probably at almost every university. It may change the whole uh, fiscal structure of many of the colleges and universities. I want to read a tweet from a listener who says, I have a daughter who goes to Uh, University in Los Angeles. She's still trying to decide. The pros and cons are numerous and the issue is complex. Some classes will be online regardless. Some will be in person. Uh, Thank you for that. And let's go to Florida and welcome Andy. Andy, join us.
8: Hi there. How are you?
1: Okay, thank you.
8: How are you? Uh, Good, good. Just wanted a couple quick points. One, I'm a veterinarian and Obviously, a lot of courses can't be taught online, can't be taught remotely. They need that hands-on component. And one of my former employees just graduated from vet school, and they canceled her entire second semester, which is generally one of the most important times when you're working in the clinic and, you know, learning a lot of those things that you don't get out of a textbook, And those students still graduated, and, you know, I'm happy for them, but it's also concerning, and I don't know how you deal with that moving forward as well.
1: I'm glad you raised that, Andy, and I thank you for it. Uh, There are some courses, uh, Anna obviously, that just don't lend themselves to online learning. And uh, what have you found from your research and your reporting, uh, the colleges are saying in terms of response to that?
4: Yeah, I agree, and um, and just listening to this vet makes me feel like you know, on some level, this is such a tragedy. Um, that the schools are saying generally, well, we'll carve out exceptions for um, veterinarian, you know, clinical experience, uh, dance, music. How much they'll be able to do that, I don't know. And let me tell you, when I talk to students. Um, it's maybe counterintuitive but computer science students have told me we don't want to be online it is better for us to be taking uh classes where we can collaborate um and and learn from each other uh in 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 teams in person not online so um it's not necessarily what you what you think? And 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 at first, when in March when schools closed down, I thought online. Okay, great. It's like Aristotle, one teacher, one person under a tree. It's very intimate. But um, from what I've heard since then, it's not. It can be quite alienating.
1: I can speak with my hat as a professor that uh, there's nothing like in class dynamic learning. There's face to face learning, uh, and I think most of my colleagues. And the academic world feels the same way. We've got very little time left here. I want to go back, Devin, to you. And many questions coming in about mental health for students. Uh, what are the guidelines tell us? What should students know? What should parents know and teachers?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, we're very concerned about mental health. Uh, and and um, it was already a rising concern. Um, we run the National College Health Assessment that looks at this across universities. And we've seen kind of a disturbing trend already. Um, I think throw in uh, the stresses of, you know, social isolation, losing loved ones, um, stresses of kind of what the new normal environment is, I think is going to throw a a lot more complexity on this. So, um, we're trying to help our universities figure out what kinds of strategies they can use in order to try to uh, help mitigate it.
1: I'm going to read one more comment before we say goodbye. Vanessa writes, The pandemic has led me to drop out of culinary arts school last week where I was apprenticing at a once fast-paced French restaurant in San Francisco. I reassessed my priorities and my health was more important than exploring myself through the arts. I'm now exploring going back to school and exploring subjects to study that don't require as much close contact with others. We've heard both sides of that. I wanted to conclude with it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our listeners. And for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Krasny.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
1: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera,